What is crack-a-lacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Savalli coming at you with a quick NBA draft rumor roundup ahead of Thursday's prospect pageant. Just want to go through the, the latest news, speculation, give my interpretation of it, what I think. It was titled buy or sell. That's basically what we're doing. Not commenting on the reporting since I'm only using rumors that I deem valid enough to, or we should deem valid enough to discuss. Before we dive in, quick programming note, we're going to be publishing probably daily, if not maybe sometimes two pods daily, right up until the start of free agency. So make sure you're downloading every episode. If you have subscribed, we're going to have division lookaheads coming out. Um, I'm doing that with my good friend and colleague, Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes. And we decided it would make sense to just wait until after the draft to begin all of them. So it is going to be a ferocious publishing schedule over here at Hardwood Knox, which is why you're also not hearing from us until the middle of this draft week. And I wasn't even going to put out a pod, but decided I didn't want to go that many days without publishing a podcast, which is probably a sickness, I would I would argue. If you have not subscribed to Hardwood Knox yet, please consider doing so right now, especially if this is your first time. Listen, we do a very thorough job covering the NBA over here. And we try to have lots of fun while doing so. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Even if you don't use iTunes or Spotify, throw us some ratings over there. Um, also follow our YouTube channel, youtube.com, Hardwood Knox. You can find the link in the description. Join our Discord as well. The link to that is in the description also. And finally, follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox and on TikTok at Hardwood Knox. Also, finally, we're on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. All the links to the socials, YouTube, and Discord are in our podcast description. That is the best way to help the pod is to subscribe, download every episode, follow us on all those social media channels. There is original content being posted on IG, TikTok, YouTube as well. That's not specific to just these pods that are going out. And also word of mouth. Please recommend us if you even mildly enjoy us, retweet our promotions that are on Twitter. Where else would you retweet anything? We appreciate all of it and love each and every one of you, but it feels like it's time to try and dive through this rumor mill that I have um, been pillaging through. And we're just going to stick to like the biggest moves. It's not look, the Lakers want to buy a second round pick. That's awesome. We're not going to go through that type of stuff. I'm focusing on the meat and potatoes of the rumor mill here. Uh, This one is only tangentially related to the NBA draft. If not at all, there was the report to start off the week from the athletic Sham Sharania that the Nets and Kyrie Irving are at an impasse in their discussions on his next deal. He holds that player option ahead of free agency. Woj also as of Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning was talking about how the Nets are worried to unfasten themselves from Kyrie. I think unfastening was the word that he used. Uh, They want to draw a line sort of in the sand on his contract talks, but they don't want to risk alienating Kevin Durant, who is a good friend of Kyrie. And the whole reason Kevin Durant is in Brooklyn is not to win in Brooklyn. It was to play with Kyrie Irving in the first place. He's not really had ample opportunity to do so to this point. Uh, There was, I think Nick Friedel, I didn't read the article, so I don't want to, I hope this wasn't taken out of context, but ESPN's Nick Friedel had apparently said that the friendship between them isn't as close as it seems sometimes. Uh, I don't like it, it matters that they're still friends though. And that Kevin Durant publicly has been supportive of Kyrie for the most part. I think even hinted in an interview we did that there have been frustrations, especially with Kyrie's availability last season. But I don't doubt that these two are on good terms. The James Harden situation doesn't end the way it does. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving aren't still in this together, that $36.7 million player option, it looms large 
in this entire discussion. Uh, I do think that Kyrie's camp was probably trying to create some leverage here that he would really consider leaving. Uh, if I'm the Nets, I w- might think about calling his bluff. At the same time, this feels like a marriage out of necessity for both teams. Uh, where is Kyrie going to go is a fair question to ask. He's not going to sign outright with the Pistons or the Magic. Um, the Spurs, maybe, but even that would be just like a little bit surprising at this point, given where they are at the stage of their development. You can go the sign and trade route, but one, who are the Nets going to do business with where they're getting adequate value for Kyrie in return? And two, a lot of the teams that he's going to want to go to are going to have a hard time completing a sign and trade uh, while staying within the hard cap. And the Clippers, just as an example, a sign and trade is not going to work for them. They're just too far over the, the luxury tax apron as it stands, even if you might like a package if you're Brooklyn built around Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, uh, Reggie Jackson is there as well. Norman Powell, of course, uh, it could be ditto for the Lakers. I know they've cropped up. If the Nets decided, Hey, we want their 2027 and 2029 first, and we'll take back Russell Westbrook. Um, and they would like, I, I guess like the Lakers have a little bit more. I don't guess the Lakers do have a little bit more flexibility there than the Clippers. I just don't see a pathway to them fleshing out the rest of the roster um, competently. And the math on Kyrie Irving's next contract in a sign and trade would absolutely matter as well, since the Lakers already have leading into next season, um, more than $80 million committed to LeBron and AD alone. And the luxury tax apron is 155 point, a little bit over 155.6 next year. So you would have in essence, 76 million. Let's say now it'd be about 75 million, let's say, to pay Kyrie his max salary, flesh out the rest of the roster, which that gets pretty hard pretty quick. And you have Talon Horton Tucker on that $10.3 million deal. Kendrick Nunn picked up his $5.3 million player option. There's a lot of logistical gymnastics involved there. There are some other teams that could more easily do this, of course. Kyrie has to want to go there. There's also been the speculation maybe he would opt into his contract and that would help facilitate a trade. Um, again, it still matters what the Nets are getting back for him. And also, if you're Kyrie Irving, uh, the money that you've made and a you know a $36.7 million salary is, is nothing to just sort of slouch at, but you have the ability to sign for 42.7 just next year. Uh, that is a pretty substantial increase. It's almost $6 million. And also, given your not just his vaccination status costing him games last year, but just throughout his career, always with the injuries that he has dealt with, you'd probably want to lock down some longer term money. Uh, he could still leave outright, or maybe there's a sign of trade possibility. If a team's willing to go nuclear, uh, the Knicks would be an example. Are they willing to just dump a bunch of salary? Fred Katz did an excellent job laying out the steps they would have to get there. I don't even want to go too deep into it just because I don't view it as a realistic option. Kyrie leaving the Nets at at all, to be honest. But a team like that, if they can clear cap space, um, the, the Knicks would also have an easier time getting involved in a sign and trade. That being said, if you're Brooklyn, are you sending Kyrie like to the Eastern Conference to someone in your division insofar as divisions even matter at this point? Is the offer good enough to do that? It feels like even if the Knicks were giving their top dollar offer, or even if they were smitten with the Lakers 2027 and 29 first, this requires third, fourth team facilitation for, for squads that might actually place more immediate value in those picks because the Nets are going to want impact players. And that to me is what this all comes back to is if you're the Nets, 
you can't move on from Kyrie Irving and think you're going to get better, especially if you've already lost James Harden, the mystery box that is Ben Simmons and his back right now. You also can't move Kyrie Irving and just assume that Kevin Durant is, will want to stay. Uh, we can get into whether you think he should have went to Brooklyn in the first place. If you're making this decision from your own perspective, the answer is no. Kevin, why would you leave the Warriors for the Nets? But Kevin Durant wanted this, and that's fine. I don't I don't have an issue with that. Wanted to play with his friend, wanted to play in Brooklyn. I, I really don't. He wanted to go there, and players have agency. That That's that's great. He should play where he wants to. Um, I'm sure he considered that maybe that was costing him a few titles. Maybe he didn't even consider it. Maybe he doesn't care. Uh, maybe he still thinks the Nets are championship contenders, which, newsflash, Kyrie Irving's healthy, Kevin Durant's healthy, and Ben Simmons is healthy next year. They're absolutely just that. I still think his calculus could change. Not trying to project my feelings onto Kevin Durant. I still feel his calculus could change if Kyrie Irving is not there anymore. And so you have to take that into consideration if you're Brooklyn. This all feels like it will end with a middle ground. I don't know if it's just a shorter deal that the Nets are signing with Kyrie. Maybe it's a, you know, a two plus one or something that gets him to free agency sooner. doesn't tie them down to him as long. Maybe it's just a full boat at this point. But because of the Nets' lack of other options, I would argue they have less leverage in this situation than Kyrie Irving because they have to be committed to possibly rebuilding and starting over if you let Kyrie Irving go or move him. Um, that's something you would technically have to trade Kevin Durant, but that all of a sudden just becomes an issue if you're trading the primary reason that he came to Brooklyn in the first place. So I expect all this to end with Kyrie playing in Brooklyn next season. Worst, worst case scenario he starts the season there after signing a new deal, and then they can move him once he's trade eligible if this marriage is that far gone, which, again, this just feels like a public game of chicken that's being played more so than anyone else. Uh, one of the other biggest or the, the probably the biggest draft rumor right now is John Collins will be moved at some point. It's just like this known thing. Um, Woj said during an appearance on SportsCenter, that the Hawks are as motivated as any team in the league to make a significant deal or deals to improve their team, to try to find a co-star for Trey Young. Uh, I think it's very likely John Collins is going to be part of any of those deals. I think he's very likely on the move somewhere this week as they try to do something big in Atlanta. The this week verbiage caught me there. Uh, Bleach Report's Jake Fisher also reported that Collins is viewed as the most likely trade candidate among impact veterans around the league and that there's mutual interest between him and the Hawks organization in finding him a new uh, spot. Uh, Sam Amick, also on the Athletic NBA show, had said the Hawks have been tied to Jeremy Grant. They've talked to the Kings about the number four pick in a deal that would likely involve Harrison Barnes. I have to assume there are third and fourth teams there as well, because unless the Hawks are giving up Trey Young, I don't know how you're getting Harrison Barnes and number four in a John Collins deal. Uh, Fisher, though, did say that the talks between Sacramento and Atlanta have actually not included the fourth selection to this point. Anarchy. That's what it is right now. Uh, a John Collins trade feels fait complete. I gave my thoughts on that in the last podcast. Hawks fans destroyed me for that in the YouTube comments. I got shit from Suns fans for saying, I don't think the Hawks should be moving John Collins for DeAndre Ayton. I don't think it makes them better when you have Clint Capello and Yeka Kongu as well. Even if you think DeAndre Ayton is the better player than John Collins. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton is the better fit alongside Trey Young. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton is going to have a more self-sustaining offensive game if you give him even more responsibility, which you might not because Trey Young is super ball dominant himself. Uh, people pointed out, well, then you move Clint Capella and or Onyeka Kungwu. Like part of the value in a trade is not, oh, I have to get rid of at least this other guy 
to make room for DeAndre Ayton. And if it is, that player needs to be an absolute megastar, which DeAndre Ayton is not. Um, I still think John Collins is incredibly underrated. His offensive game is so scalable. I think a lot of at least Hawks fans in the YouTube comments were underrating what his floor game could be to me. There's not like a super high processing speed there. I also don't know that the Hawks have given him a realistic opportunity to plumb the depths of that in his current role, really ever since the, the Clint Capella trade. Uh, you also turn him into more of a spot-up guy because of the Capella trade, since he can't be the primary screener and finisher, uh, rim runner on as many of those plays anymore. A better situation, I think he probably looks better, or even if you kept him with Capella, gave him some more offensive responsibility. Uh, it is crowded, though, within Atlanta's pecking order. You have Trey Young, uh, and then you have Bogdan Bogdanovich. You have Kevin Herter. So there are names that are going to be in front of him. Gallo maybe won't be there next season. Perhaps that opens up opportunities for John Collins, but this sort of feels too far gone. I'm not saying the Hawks shouldn't trade John Collins. I think it would just be a mistake to trade him for the sake of trading him. And they're clearly doing their due diligence. Otherwise, this deal would be done. I'm more so fall on the side of, I'm not moving John Collins for draft equity. Yeah, if it's a top four pick, reconsider it, I guess. But Jaden Ivey, Trey Young, unless you think one of those bigs are going to be there, in which case you still have to worry about the Capella fit. Unless you're going to take a more gradual approach, I don't want to say completely start over, but retool, quasi-rebuild, whatever you want to call it, I don't think that moving Collins and getting better is easy because you have to target players who are worth Collins and then other stuff, other players um, that actually improve your team. There's a case for me that Rudy Gobert is that guy. I, I don't, if I'm the Hawks and it's costing me at least one first, Capella and Collins and any Rudy Gobert trade, not even saying it's straight up. I. It's not a complete deal breaker. It's something I have to think about. It's not a no-brainer from the Hawks, as good as Rudy Gobert is. So I do now expect John Collins to get moved. The Woj language with mentioning this week, um, I, I thought maybe it would be something that would be addressed like before the season, but it feels like regardless of when the trade's completed, we'll have a better idea of where he'll be playing basketball by the end of draft night. I just... I'm fully prepared to be disappointed in what the Hawks do with John Collins at this point. And if it, if this even screams or hints at any semblance of, Oh, they're trying to save money given their proximity to the, the luxury tax, I, I will be furious because that's just a, a be a misallocation of what's a really good player. And look, let's give the Hawks the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, the trade has not been made yet. And they're clearly not dealing him willy-nilly. Otherwise, that might have happened already. So John Collins trade, I don't know that I buy the idea that you have to move him, uh, but it certainly seems like he's going to be moved this week. Uh, New Orleans, this comes from uh, Jake Fisher of Bleach Report as well. If they cannot get Benedict Matherin or Dyson Jan Daniels, excuse me, at number eight, they're reportedly open to moving down the draft ladder. That was per Fisher. I'd buy it. I mean, Benedict Matherin's a great fit uh, just to provide motion shooting and another wing on that team. I really like Dyson Daniels, sort of this do-everything wing, who I don't know if he's going to be super great off the dribble or hitting jumpers, but he is a really good playmaker. He can defend his butt off. Um, it's 6'8". He gives you a lot of positional flexibility. I think that the passing and defense alone will have an instant impact. He is one of my draft favorites along with uh, Marjan Bochamp. That being said, I don't expect Benedict Matherin to still be on the board at number eight. Uh, Bleach Report's Jonathan Wasserman has him off beforehand. Ditto for Sam Bassini of 
the athletic. I believe Adam Spinella of the box and one has him off the board before number eight as well. Tyson Daniels is sort of all over the place. Jonathan Wasserman has him lasting until the number eight pick. Sam Massini has him going, I think, at number seven right now, but it's before the, the number eight pick. And so moving down, if both of them are off the board, makes perfect sense if those are your guys. Can you work out something with OKC's number 12? Charlotte has 13 and 15. Um, maybe you would even prefer to get Usman Jang instead and just keep the number eight pick. I expect Keegan Murray to be off the board by then too, which is probably why he wasn't mentioned alongside New Orleans. But yeah, why why not try and attempt to move down? Uh, I would be curious what teams are looking to get into that spot if the players that New Orleans is targeting, specifically Benedict Matherin, isn't there. Uh, but maybe they're trying to get a Jalen Dern. Like maybe that's a team that's trying to, to leap up to get him. But I think New Orleans should absolutely just be flexible in how they view this pick. They could use sort of another, I don't want to say a developmental project, but they can use another infusion of of lottery talent, of course, but they're also already good enough if Zion's healthy to compete for one of the primary playoff spots in the West, which gives you just some malleability leading into draft night. I wouldn't, you know, I would want something immediate out of this pick, whether it's actually using it on a player at eight lower in the draft or flipping it for a veteran. I wouldn't be trading it for a distant first round pick, but I think that they have more options on the table than a lot of other teams in this situation. Uh, Jeremy Wu from SI.com had two interesting tidbits in among others, but the two that stood out to me in his latest mock draft. Uh, the first was that the Grizzlies are looking to dangle number 22 and DeAnthony, DeAnthony Melton in an attempt to enter the teams. Um, they also have the number 29 pick. I don't think DeAnthony Melton, the number 22 alone gets you into the teams. Just looking at the draft order. Um, I guess like would a team like Atlanta want to give up 16 would Houston be open to moving back at number 17? Charlotte does have 15. Um, I don't know if DeAnthony Melton alone is enough to do that. I guess if you think that your pri primary target is still going to be available at number 22, that changes the calculus. DeAnthony Melton's also really good. He's owed $8.3 million next year, um, only a $1.5 million guarantee on his $8 million salary the year after. And he's become like this 3 and D guard, essentially, and he can defend some wings, but he is just a a pesky defender and he has shown that he can hit threes over the past two seasons without working uh, with the ball in his hands a ton. And so that makes him extremely plug and play. If you're a team that has more immediate aspirations and you know, maybe it's like, like a team like Charlotte would make so much sense, but they have Terry Rozier there already. And I don't know like why you would want the Anthony Melton um, as well. I mean, I could see why you would want him, but is that, is he worth dropping back seven spots if you're giving up 15? Yeah, he Melton certainly not enough to get to 12. 14 with Cleveland, uh, I think they probably need more of a connective tissue passer than DMP Melton is going to provide. I mentioned Atlanta, I mentioned Houston, Chicago at 18, uh, perhaps Minnesota at 19, and then we're out of the teams right there. I think they would, if you're, if you're Memphis, you probably need to dangle the 29 pick as well. And perhaps that catches the attention of like a, you know, Washington could really use the Anthony Melton. Would you do 22, 29 and Melton for number 10? Um, if you can't move up because we know the wizards, we'll get to that in a second. Want Jaden Ivy, or if, you know, they can't take a swing. Like if Shaden sharp, some people have him going as low as 10 at this point. Um, maybe that's something that they consider. It feels like Memphis needs to include a little bit more than Melton and number two to jump up into the middle of the teams. Is it's like number 19, then yeah. Uh, that's, you know, they're that worried. They need to move up three spots and strike a deal with uh, the, the Timberwolves. Then yeah, more, 
more power to them, I, I suppose. The other thing from Jeremy Wu was he mentioned that the Warriors would be looking to move the um, their first round pick in this year's draft. Uh, that's number 28. I, I think it was this is spun as in service of them being able to just cut their their tax bill. I I'm I don't I'm, I would just use the pick. I'm, I don't care about saving Joe Lacob and, and crew like actual luxury tax money. If the player you want at 28 is going to be available in the second round and you can trade down and then you're not beholden to the rookie scale, but at number 28, they're so cheap to begin with. Um, unless you're going the draft and stash like route, in which case, why do you even need to necessarily get rid of this pick? Uh, so I just don't think it makes a big enough of a dent. Um, if you're moving it and just getting rid of the pick, what are you getting for it? No team is giving you a future first in exchange for number 28 right now. Are you then moving that for a future second? Um, so if you want to move down and just escape being beholden to the rookie scale, I get it. I don't know why you would move this pick otherwise, especially when you're trying to straddle the, the two timelines and you've done it well thus far, obviously, as the, the reigning champs who also have Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Jordan Poole, and, and James Wiseman. I wouldn't be a big fan. Maybe the Warriors surprise us and try and acquire some media talent. Again, I don't know how they do that with this pick. They don't have like, salary flotsam just to include in trades they haven't seemed like a team that's wanted to shake up anything and this pick is going to be worth as a capital like 2.1 it's it's less than 2.2 million dollars i'm just i don't know the logic necessarily aside from getting out of it outright and trimming your tax bill that way again if you can get an earlier second round pick or maybe you know Adam Spinella from the box at one did come on this podcast and said that there's just like this log jam of talent where it feels like between 22 and 55. And if you think that the guy you want at 28 is going to be available at number 51 for some absurd reason, I, I guess you can punt on this pick entirely. Otherwise use it on a player that can help you like down the line, whether it's drafting stash or actually bringing him into your program and trying to develop him from here. Um, Jaden Ivey. We need to talk about him. Uh, the Knicks have apparently ramped up their pursuit of what is considered the consensus number four prospect. Uh, Ian Begley of SNY wrote as of mid morning on Tuesday, I believe that the Knicks can get up to number four to select Jay Ivy. That is some pretty strong language from Ian who is as plugged in as Knicks coverage as it gets and doesn't use language like that lightly. Um, he also wrote, it would take a significant piece. People in touch with Sacramento say that in the club's conversations with New York, the Knicks have talked about offering multiple first round picks. Um, he doesn't know what players were offered, but it wasn't enough to lock a deal in. He closes with for the Knicks. I think it will come down to whether they are willing to part with one of their homegrown young players, Manuel quickly will be topping Quentin Grimes in addition to multiple picks. This is interesting. We know, and we'll talk more about the number four pick and the Kings in general in a second. I buy the hell out of this idea for the Knicks. This is the swing you make when you're wandering through the NBA's boondocks of mediocrity. You'll mortgage your future to clear enough cap space to sign Jalen Brunson, a fantastic player who is not going to accelerate your position up the Eastern Conference. He's really more of um, to improve while staying in place sort of player when looking at how you project your team moving forward. You certainly don't hit your wagon in any way to Kyrie Irving. You do what you've ostensibly never done, and that's go after the potentially transcendent floor general who doesn't accelerate or impede your timeline, but actively defines it. And so the idea that the Knicks are considering going all in on, on Jay Ivey pursuit, pursuit 
is actually encouraging because they have alternatives, contingencies in place that I wouldn't be a fan of. I like this aggressive move. Comes down, though, to cost. I think the Kings are going to be the team that says no first here, clearly. A lot of people think they should just move this pick because Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox don't make too much sense. I've come a little bit more around on Jaden Ivey's off-ball offense, like his utility there, and that it could work. I just take him anyway and you figure it out later if he is the best player on the board. And I understand the Kings are looking to end their playoff drought, spanning since 2006. I don't know that the Knicks are the team to help them do that. They can include the number 11 pick. They can include the Dallas 2023 pick. They have all their own first-round picks moving forward. But then you're looking at sort of role-player guys, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, who actually just had foot surgery, um, Kemba Walker. Like, that's not going to get your juices going. They have Evan Fournier. Um, those are like the impact players they can give you. You're not going to want Julius Randle. They're probably not giving up R.J. Barrett in this deal. The impact players, immediate impact players they can give you, I don't think they move the Kings' needle enough to what they would want in a package for number four pick. Now, maybe the Knicks are offering so many future firsts, it doesn't matter. If they're offering number 11 and like two to three additional firsts, if you're Sacramento to move down seven spots, yeah, maybe maybe you consider it. Perhaps you're smitten with some players around that area. Perhaps you know that the, those assets can be rerouted in another deal. They should certainly have interest if the Knicks are willing to include IQ or Toppin or Quentin Grimes. IQ is not redundant, but you're still running into a lot of guard questions with Fox and Damian Mitchell already there. Quentin Grimes, the Kings need um, defensive wings. He can, he's a little bit like he's not super big, but he can defend up and defend on the wings capably a three and D type. It seems like some people think he has a little bit more ball skills. I just don't know that we saw enough of him in New York. Obi top and high energy guy, uh, a front court with him and Sabonis though, would be probably pretty terrible on defense. Maybe they just plan on not playing them together. It feels like the, the future picks would be just the total allure for the Kings in this package. And I don't know how many the Knicks would have to include to get to that point. But if you're a Knicks fan, you should absolutely be encouraged that this is the terms in which they're thinking. And you shouldn't be discouraged if it winds up costing a small ransom to get this pick. If Jay Nivey is the guy and he looks like he's pretty clear. I mean, he's pretty clearly the best just advantage point of attack creator in this draft. But if you think that he is going to be able, his finishing is going to translate, that frenetic pace is going to translate, that he's going to even hone a, a mid-range game. You could trust him to hit maybe off the dribble threes moving forward or at least set threes off the ball if you're giving R.J. Barrett slash Julius Randle room to operate. If you believe that he is the guy, you should absolutely be going after him. Uh, that is something this organization has just not done. Even when they've had higher lottery picks than they do now, they're not, you know, go back to the Shea Gilgis Alexander draft where it seemed like that was just a no brainer for them to draft the guard with really good, like who could, who projected as a fairly good ball handler could defend, but maybe um, a primary creator, the Tyrese Halliburton stuff. That is a little bit more obvious his creation, at least than Shea Gilgis Alexander's at the time. I like that the Knicks are thinking in these terms. I just don't think they're going to have the, the, the juice to get up to, to number four, because if I'm the Kings, I'm looking at probably what other teams can offer, or maybe I don't want to fall back that far. And which brings us to reporting from Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher. It's not just the Knicks who are trying to pry number four away from the Kings. The Pacers, Spurs, and Washington Wizards have all been linked um, to that pick. The sheer volume of this interest doesn't necessarily increase the chances that the Kings will trade out of what's deemed the Jaden Ivey spot, but the redundancy of having both Ivy and Fox plus Davion Mitchell does sort of increase the anything's possible factor here. Um, as does also the Kings' obsession with ending their, their playoff drought. 
Maybe the Kings keep this pick and go in a different direction, like a Keegan Murray or a Benedict Matherin there. They can deviate from what has been considered the script. Uh, maybe you just take Ivy, you figure, like I said, and figure out the Fox and Ivy stuff later in as much as you even need to choose between those two. A lot's just going to depend on the deals that are presented to them. I would guess that this just goes down to the wire um, right before the, the pick is made. I think you could argue, though, that Indiana just being two spots behind Sacramento, if you're willing, if they're willing to give up additional equity on top of number six, maybe even a future first round pick, that deal might be easier for the Kings to make. Um, the Spurs can offer flat out more at number nine. I don't know if they would be willing to. You would certainly like a lot of their young players more than you would um, what the Knicks are. There's just more establishment there. Um, if it's a Keldon Johnson, if it's a Devin Vassell, that just seems a little steep for the Spurs to move up those five spots. Uh, if Washington gets involved, um, they have KCP, they have Kyle Kuzma, the Kings need wings. They can include a future first. I don't, Denny Avia to move up to four. That's a lot. I love Denny. You, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love Denny Avia. The defensive progression he's shown over his first couple of years has been really incredible. Um, just a lot more positional versatility there than I expected. And I do think there's more of his, just looking at the physicality and some touch he's shown putting the ball on the floor. I think there's more of a, a bit, there's a lot better of an offensive player in there if the if the Washington Wizards are willing to explore the depths of his his skill set. But in theory, like a lot of those, if you're building something around Denny Avia or KCP and Kuzma to pick, that might just be more enticing than what the Knicks are offering you, um, especially given how much Sacramento needs wings. I don't have a feel for what the Kings are going to do here. Um, I'm a sucker for adventure, so I just I want to see them create chaos and move out of this spot. But it feels like it's going to come down to the wire and even though Jane Nivey may not be the perfect fit, you can't take moving the number four selection lightly by any measure. Um, somewhat obscured within that bombshell Kyrie Irving report from Shams to start the week was an odd towards the Knicks continued interest in Malcolm Brogdon, um, who's clearly a contingency as to the Ivy stuff. Maybe he's even a contingency if they can't get Jalen Brunson in free agency. The reporting on Jalen Brunson though, is that he's, you know, his return to the Mavs is set in stone uh, ESPN Brian Windhorst also reported on NBA today that Brogdon could land with the wizards quote, possibly for that 10th pick, possibly for not. Um, I'm just going to go out on what should be a pretty sturdy limb here. I don't think the Pacers are getting number 10 or number 11 for Malcolm Brogdon. They're not getting a lottery pick for Malcolm Brogdon. They've ostensibly been hawking him around the entire league since April. That's when Mark Stein reported on his Substack, the Pacers made it clear they would, they would jettison Brogdon in the offseason. That's how long he's been on the market. Given his injury history, the fact that he's owed three years and 67.6 million over the next um, three years, this is not someone who's on a value contract, a positive value contract. He has earned that money. The Pacers signed him for it. Teams are going to view that, I would argue, for the most part, as a net negative asset for at least another year before they can really see the light at the end of the tunnel. I do think he has shown that his offensive game is broader than the catch and shoot pump and drive stuff that defined it in Milwaukee, but he's also not this orthodox initiator in the half court or someone who has proved to knock down off the dribble looks at high clips. His defense is fine um, across one ones and twos and some more stationary threes. Like he's not going to torpedo or submarine your defense, which has value in itself. That's not worth a lottery pick. He also turns 30 in December. We have to remember here. So this contract is taking him through his age 30, 31, and age 32 season. 
you're not, you're just, I would be floored if you're getting a lottery pick for Malcolm Brogdon alone. Now, if you're including other stuff in there, is this part of a larger Miles Turner trade? Uh, are you willing to move Chris Duarte as part of that? But I saw initially, not lately, that Pacers fans were hoping Brogdon could be the primary mechanism through which they move up to get number four. That's not happening. And I really just don't think he's going to net you a lottery pick. And if either the Wizards or the Knicks do that without getting other stuff in return, punting on a top 12 pick, uh, they should be rightly shamed in, in the trade reactions because I just don't think that that's a great idea. And Malcolm Brogdon is a really good player. He can help a lot of teams, but there's a difference between giving up a, it's not a high lottery pick, but a top 12 pick for someone who um, may not be available. He's only missed fewer than 15 games once in his career. And that was uh, in his rookie season. So that's something that you have to consider with him as well. I will be, just to reiterate, shocked if the Pacers are only trading Malcolm Brogdon and getting back 10 from the Knicks, 11 from uh, 10 from the Wizards, 11 from the Knicks. I'll be shocked if they even, if for some reason, Cleveland wanted him and they were willing to give up 14 as part of that package. Look, I mean, if we want to be brutally honest, what's the, is there even a, like, what's the earliest first round pick you're giving up for Malcolm Brogdon in this draft? Forget about the team fit, but are you giving up 15? Are you giving up 16, 17? The teams that own these picks make it difficult. Um, would Minnesota give up 19 for Malcolm Brogdon? I don't think that, I don't think that they would, uh, in part because Daniel Russell's there, but maybe they know that they're moving him or something. I just, I think if Malcolm Brogdon gets traded, it's going to be for a lot less than people think. And if it's a first round pick, it's certainly not, I, I think it'll be outside the lottery either this year or a lottery protected pick in years to come. This I'll wrap up with this because I find this report hysterical. Uh, Brian Windhorse had said in hat tip uh, basketball news is Evan Sidery for rallying this. Uh, but Windhorse had said the Hornets are looking to trade one of their first round picks alongside Gordon Hayward to clear cap space to resign Miles Bridges. The Hornets do not need cap space to resign Miles Bridges. He's a restricted free agent. They can match whatever offer he receives. You want to dump Gordon Hayward to clear some runway beneath the luxury tax. That's how this needs to be spent. We got to stop giving NBA governors, teams, this bailout of, oh, well, well, we need to figure out a way that some of these contracts don't count for the full amount against their books so that they're more inclined to sign their players. No, uh, you get players for the most part. This is Miles Bridges, not Gordon Hayward. You had him on a four-year rookie scale below market value. You don't need another benefit after that. You should not be controlling an NBA team if you're not willing to pay to field a good NBA team and retain good players. So we need we need to stop this spin, this billionaire empathy, um, billion-dollar entity empathy on, on these teams' behalf, on these team governors' behalf. I just don't – I'm not a fan of it. They, Hornets also have to re worry about re-signing Cody Martin, a restricted free agent as well. Guess what? They can re-sign Cody Martin. Um, and look, I don't have a problem if the Hornets, I think it's dumb given the point of their development that they're in to use any first round equity just to get off money. But if you want to duck the tax, that's fine. That's how this needs to be peddled. This, that's how this needs to be presented is the Hornets want to make sure that they don't go into the luxury tax next season for a team that we know is not going to be good enough necessarily to justify paying the luxury tax. Do I think the one first round pick is enough to get off Gordon Hayward? It depends on what you're looking to do. If you're, the Hornets. I wondered if Cleveland would consider love for Hayward straight up. Uh, you are saving a few million bucks this season. If you're Charlotte, 
And then you have the added benefit of uh, Kevin Love being an expiring contract. You're getting out of the entire final year of that uh, Gordon Hayward contract. The issue there is you're looking at like a less than $2 million difference here in salaries. That's not going to give you much breathing room. Uh, can you move other salary as part of that? If you're really looking to cut down on salary, I, like, I, you look at the cap space teams. I don't know if maybe Orlando, Detroit would be willing to take on Gordon Hayward for the first round pick. Um, that feels like something them or the Spurs would consider after going through free agency and deciding whether or not to spend their money. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if you're looking to get off all of his money, it's one extremely difficult without taking anything back just because there are so few teams with, with that type of cap space. The other thing here is you can't just trade Gordon Hayward for nothing. It's not addition by subtraction. Gordon Hayward's availability is an issue. He doesn't seem to have much pep off the dribble, but he can still score, get to his mid-range game, a good shooter, a really good passer, uh, hold his own against some of the, the bigger, slower forwards, and there are teams that would be able to use him really well defensively when you look at their surrounding personnel. Um, replacing him is not just a matter of, like, doing nothing. And so you have to get value back as part of this, which is where the first round pick comes in is can you attach Gordon Hayward's $30.1 million salary to this pick and then get back a cheaper player or collection of players who deepen your team, a team to sort of watch out for there would be the Knicks just because of their level of mid end contracts. And they have a bunch of would be expirings when you're looking at Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel uh, and the non guarantees on their final year Burks's surgery recently. That of course changes the, how you would consider that there, but that could be a team that maybe doesn't even need the first round pick to roll the dice on Gordon Hayward. If you need the first round pick to get off Gordon Hayward, I, I don't, I don't think it's worth it for Charlotte uh, just because he is still a helpful player when he's healthy. And the, the question marks surrounding his health, unless they know something that has just not been made public yet, doesn't really make like, isn't urgent enough to be like, Hey, let's punt on draft equity that we, we actually need. I thought about whether the, the Grizzlies could figure out a way to take on the final two years of Gordon Hayward. He would be a really good fit with their team. I just don't think they're going to give up the, they probably don't want to trade Steven Adams and they have cap flexibility. So in theory, depending on what happens with Tyus Jones and, and Kyle Anderson, they could work out something there. I don't think they're going to want to get rid of Steven Adams. Uh, I would probably guess that he's more likely to get extended by them than moved for a Gordon Hayward specifically, not that he's untouchable. So, Look, if you're Charlotte and you're actually using Hayward's salary to upgrade your roster and trading first round picks, fine. You're not going to be doing that because you're looking to cut cash, not to resign Miles Bridges because you don't need to do that, but to avoid the tax. I don't have a feeling for how the Gordon Hayward stuff is going to end. I don't see clear fits for him. This might be something that gets tackled closer to free agency when teams have a better lay of the market and who they can or, or cannot get. And maybe Gordon Hayward becomes a, a contingency for someone who needs a good player trying to win now, but apparently they can also get a first round pick as, as part of the process. So monitor that. This was great. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you've made it to the end, please remember to rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. If this is your first time listening, please again, throw us that permanent subscription, uh, refer us to your friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers, random people on the internet who, you know, like basketball, uh, follow us on YouTube and discord those handles or those links excuse me are in the podcast description follow us on hardwood knox at hardwood knox on tiktok and twitter we are at hardwood underscore knox on instagram until next time i leave you with a shout out to the one the only frank neal team